bhajanas, bhajasandha, quick, fast. the Scottish Rugby Blog Podcast special 10th Anniversary Awards show. We're just getting things set up and dusting down the red carpet. We are not covering the squad announcement for the autumn tests in this episode, but if you head over to the site, there's an article about it and you can join in the debate with uh, the other commenters. Right, I just need to go and check that Brodie, Gav and John have sorted everything I asked for the ceremony. And there's a couple of notes here. I'll just check... uh, What's this one say? Hi, Cammy, it's Brody. I've sorted the set design out for tonight, went a little over budget and brought a screen the size of a double-decker so we can have a video presentation of the history of Scottish rugby at the start. Not sure how that will come across in the podcast, but I'm sure you'll make it work. See you after at the discos. Right, um, there's a note from John. Brody shot the budget on that f***ing screen. I've popped down the happy shopper and picked up 80 cans of tartan special and a multi-pack of Space Invaders. See you later. Right, hopefully Gaz has sorted out the Gav sorted out the invitations. I'll just check my emails. I never sent it to him. Um, hang on, I'll just take a wee peek at the room. For sake, there's no one here. Um, never mind, it's a podcast. I'll make it work. Right, at least we've got Doogie Donnelly hosting. Who, who's this messaging me now? Hang on. Stuck on Megabus. Won't make it in time. See you at the desk after Doogie. Cue the music. <laughs> Guests, Your Majesty, welcome to the Scottish Rugby Blog 10th Anniversary Awards. And we start tonight with a visual representation of the history of Scottish Rugby. We start with the area of professionalism, because rugby didn't exist before 1995. Here we see the entire reigning Five Nations champions, gods among men, legends of the game like Steve Brotherstone, Peter Walton, Sean Longstaff. We move then to an image of Duncan Hodge, his arms aloft after defeating England at Murrayfield in 2000, which segs into a huge false dawn, which gives way to the biblical Armageddon of the Matt Williams era. He's seen shooting lightning bolts from his eyes as he crouches inside a nuclear bunker with the words Fortress Scotland crudely daubed on the outside in the blood of Gregor Townsend's international career. 
A blinding light then fills the hall as we move on to Frank Haddon's wonder years, with early wins against England and France inevitably giving way to the image of world-class Phil Godman inexplicably throwing a third intercepted pass to a gleeful Italian. Now it's the Scottish rugby blog years, and the final splatters of Frank Bore Haddon's time in charge. Here we have an image of Andy Robinson, preserved perfectly inside his perspex box of fury. Watch as his skin turns from white to pink to red to neon purple as Scotland butcher yet another overlap in the opposition 22 and marvel at the 345 consecutive missed throws from Ross Ford at the line-out before we cut to the image of his name nailed permanently to the number two shot. Now running onto the stage is an actor dressed as Andy Robinson in his SRE blazer running round and round in circles like a headless chicken before crashing into the podium and knocking himself unconscious to signify the glory of being the only Scottish coach not to get out of the group stages of a World Cup. And here come a full set of performance to deliver an interpretive dance of Tonga's 15-21 defeat of Scotland at Aberdeen before carrying the prone body of Robinson from the stage. And send in the clowns now, because courtesy of Photoshop comes the image of Scott Johnson in full clown makeup and a bikini formed of his statistics as interim coach, which barely covers decency. And now, as Johnson moves into the shadows and morphs into a Christ-like figure, off to save Scottish rugby's grassroots, we see the image of Saint Fern of Cotter, the saviour of Scottish rugby. But who is this running onto the stage with devil horns and a trident? Why, it's the Lord of Darkness himself, Craig Joubert, come to crush Scottish dreams. And as the music reaches its crescendo, Vermin wanders off into the sunset like Michael Landon in Highway to Heaven or Bill Bixby at the end of an episode of The Incredible Hulk. And entering stage right, a tombola casually thrown over his shoulder, comes Gregor Townsend to save us all. everyone thank you thank you too kind welcome to the first ever scottish rugby blog awards show celebrating 10 years of the blog we're live tonight from the drift cross suite of the scottish rugby blog towers the blog started back in 2007 when scotland had just crashed out of the world cup after a quarter final defeat to argentina under frank Haddon. when the blog started xander ferguson was just 11 years old and used to deliver copies of the blog around glasgow on his bmx <laughs> facebook and twitter were there in their infancy Mainly people just threw virtual sheep at each other, and it was this that finally persuaded large parts of the borders and highlands that computers might be a good thing and not the devil's work. (laughs) But back in 2007, social media was held up as a shining example of how we as human beings could transcend to another level through better interaction and collaboration with one another across the globe. Flash forward to 2017, and we stand one mistyped tweet away from Armageddon. And Joe Marler just tweeted me to call me a biscuit because I said he was a <laughs> Congratulations to all our nominees tonight. Tonight we're handing out awards voted for by our writers as well as our readers, and every nominee should be rightly proud to have even touched the cloth of such a prestigious honour. So, without further ado, let's get on to the first category. 
It's the award for services to fashion, voted for by writers of the block. The nominees are Sean Lamont, Greg Laidlaw, Duncan Taylor, Stuart Hogg. And the winner is Sean Lamont. Now, Sean couldn't be with us tonight, but here to collect the award on his behalf is a pair of orange fingerless gloves and some blonde tips. <laughs> Our next award is the Reader's Award for Cult Hero of the Decade. Uh, the nominees are Chunk, Girth, Gordy Reed, Richie Vernon, Sean Lamont and Nick Vernon Connor. And the winner is Chunk. Now, Chunk couldn't be here this, this evening to collect his award, but Gav Harper uh, contacted him for us, um, and um, we've got a short statement to read out uh, from Chunk, um, and uh, this is genuine. We genuinely got this reaction from Chunk um, when we told him about the award. He said, you mean I'm not player of the decade, for sake, man. Um, so, um, classic Chunk there. Um, it's time for a Writer's Award now, and we wanted to recognise the hard work of the folk who do proper news, the tireless figures in the mainstream fake news media who commentate and cover rugby in Scotland. And the nominees were John Beattie, Hugh Dan McLennan, Andrew Cotter, and Peter Wright. And the winner of Rugby Media Personality of the Decade is John Beattie. And we caught up with John to find out what the award means to him. Uh, so, John, when we have someone on the podcast, we always ask them what club socks they'd wear if they were selected for the Barbarians. Um, were you ever called up at all? I was. I was called up twice. Once before a Lions tour in 1980 and once before the tour of 83. There's, there used to be a spring tour. And um, it was to Wales. And I thought, goodness me, if I go there, I'll get my, my head kicked in. Um, better not go. So I didn't go. And it was my, a big mistake. I should have gone... Um, and once you turn them down twice or once, you never get asked back. My son plays for the Barbarians, and he loved it. And I really wished I had said yes to the Barbarians because I think everyone assumed you played for them, but I never did. And so, if the, say they phoned you up now for, say, a game of touch, would you? What socks would you wear? <laughs> well, I would be behind the play, but I'd, I'd wear Glasgow Aki socks. My, you know, the club that I started with, my former people's club. Um, the club where all my friends were and I guess where I learned to play club rugby and to tour you know border tours to the Jed and Kelso and that's they're the socks I'd wear the one club I really I played for Harriet's as well and I loved that because I worked at the Edinburgh, Edinburgh City Bypass uh, as my first job out of university as a young engineer um, but the only club I really played for was Glasgow Wackies. Yeah, and um, now we're speaking to you today because uh, you've been voted Rugby Media Personality of the Decade by <laughs> the blog writers. Um, you've, you've had 25 caps for Scotland, selected for two Lions tours, beaten England at Twickenham and won a Grand Slam. So how does this compare to those achievements? <laughs> it, uh, it's not as painful. <laughs> uh, I'm, not getting, I'm not getting blood running out of my mouth from scrummaging. Or, I'm not any punch. I'm very honoured. Uh, I'm very honoured, but... Uh, yeah, it's um, life is weird. The older you get, the more you realise you're rushing towards the buffers of the end of your life. <laughs> I'm nearly sixty, and you know it's been a, you know, it seemed like a minute ago I was eighteen, and you know I played a bit of rugby, and then this already just tops a lot. It tops a lot. 
That's the right answer. It's the answer I've got on the card. Um, <laughs> so, so what prompted you to move into broadcasting then? Because your background, like you said earlier, it's in engineering and I think accountancy as well. Yeah, I was an engineer three times a CA when I got injured at Twickenham. Um, what happened was because I was injured at Twickenham, uh, I was uh, effectively, uh, you know, engineering and thought, well, I've got to do something else. Uh, I decided to retrain as a CA, but it was a month before the first. World Cup in 1987, and I got asked into the BBC with pins in my leg and you know my leg in a full-length plaster. Would I come and talk over some pictures from the World Cup? So I did that, and then they asked me in the following weekend, and then I became effectively the Scottish rugby pundit for a while. Uh, in from 87 till about 95, I then I was writing articles for newspapers as I was retraining as a CA and doing Sunday commentaries with the wonderful Bill Johnson on BBC Radio Scotland. And then in 1995, my dad was pretty ill, and my wife and I had a meal with him and my mum, unknowing to us two weeks before he died, he said, look, son, don't make a mistake, I mean, in my life, don't work your butt off doing things you don't like, find something you love doing, and do that. So it was the South African World Cup then in 95. My great-grandmother is South or was South African, my folks had had a honeymoon in Cape Town because the Suez Canal had been shut. I was born and uh, brought up in Malaysia. And I quit my job as a CA and thought, let's try it, and ended up um, broadcasting. And I ended up asking to present programs, which is good. And the producer also asked me, would I present a Saturday morning sports program? So that's how it all happened. It was because I was injured at Twickenham. <laughs> and the, the, bee, the Beeb asked me to come in and talk on a picture. So it was... Um, there's always a silver lining. And then yeah. this award, what more can I say? Well, yeah. And the, the interesting thing, I think you said in the past, the reason you moved from being a pundit more over to the commentary side of things is because you don't like upsetting people. Do you still feel that way? Yeah. Well, there were two reasons. One is I think as a pundit, you have a shelf life. Um, but secondly, you're always answering questions. And there was a combat between pundits to be the most controversial, you know, whether it's radio or whether it's, football, whether it's boxing, who can say the most outrageous thing? And what happens is you get caught in a spiral of saying things you don't probably really mean, uh, especially when you're, you're talking to people you know. And I ended up writing and also saying some really stupid things about people I did know and immediately regretting it. Uh, and I, the biggest regret of my life in terms of broadcasting was was when I was a, was when I was a pundit and talking about people I knew and I liked and I loved and making the mistake of criticising them uh, and it was a really stupid thing to do so I'm, I was eternally grateful that was one of the main reasons I got out of it I was really not comfortable almost in, you're insulting people because they're, they're trying the best they can or they're they're really good people and you know they're good people but you're trying to be funny you're trying to be controversial and that didn't work for me in the end. It just didn't work. I just didn't enjoy it. And well, again, you, it's quite funny because you, you didn't enjoy the punditry, and then I think you said I enjoyed you know, the punditry. I loved I loved analysing games as a as a mathematical prospect. I always viewed rugby as a mathematical puzzle, not as passion or pride. It was always you know what's working, what what's the best way of falling to present the ball, what's the best way of defending a mall, what's the best way of attacking, what's the best way of defending. 
that's okay. I really enjoyed that bit of punditry. I enjoyed the analysis bit. But what I hated was someone makes a big mistake or someone makes and you go, that's terrible. Or he shouldn't be in the team. Mm. You know, and the, some of us, they've got a family, they've got friends. Why belittle them? And I found myself belittling people when I shouldn't have been. It's interesting that point you make about sort of the mathematical approach you took to rugby because it, you seem to have quite a similar approach to your journalism um, and particularly sort of I'm thinking of the, the pieces in concussion because you seem to take the approach of almost st- stripping away the emotion and, and sort of just showing rather than telling, you know, you present the facts and, and leave the viewer or the listener to sort of make their own minds up about how to feel about something. Is that a sort of deliberate on your part? Um, well, well, I, I worked with a very good producer, so the concussion documentary, The Panorama, was uh, made with a guy called Stephen McGee, who's a really clever bloke and uh, much more much more intelligent than me. And the pair of us came up with a program format, but there's quite a lot of information. You know, we would have left out as much information as we put in The Panorama, and then there's a whole lot of emotion, because the emotion that is tied up is one... If you're in rugby, the last thing you want is rugby to be criticised, you know, because your living's tied up in rugby. Rugby generates sponsorship, generates income. It's portrayed as a good, wholesome thing for people to do. And then there's a bit of evidence that says possibly you could be hurting your brain playing rugby. Um, you have to then weigh those things up. And the best way to do it is just to do it dispassionately. So look, this is the evidence this way. These are the people claiming... It's not true because this is what they think or they've got this evidence and let people make their minds up. And I do think it's the same on radio with anything. If you, the beauty of working with the BBC, you can't really state an opinion. Mm. You've got to always ask a question and let somebody or challenge something. And I quite like that approach. You just let people talk and effectively they, they will either mess up their own argument or someone listening will disagree with them or agree with them. And it was the same with the concussion. The concussion, at the time, nobody was really acknowledging that this big thing was happening in America with all these American footballers and could it have a parallel in rugby? And I just went to the beef and said, look, we've got to do a program. And Panorama immediately said yes. And then that's what kicked it all off. Well, no, that's not what it, that's part of the, the wave of what happened. And it was just, let's have a look at the evidence. What is the evidence? Who's saying what? What do people, what do some scientists say? Therefore, other questions rugby has to ask. And that's, that was the way we went about it. And that was the way I was comfortable doing it, rather than saying, look at this, the game is doomed. It mm. was, what's the evidence? We've got to think about this. What yeah, do you think? Here's something. Yeah, it was, just, it was quite an interesting approach to documentary. It's not something, you, I mean, these days what you tend to find, I think, is, um, I mean, I'm thinking particularly the, the, the part with John Shaw where he sort of loses his train of thought and the, the temptation, I think, yeah. in a lot of, modern documentaries is to just stick a big cold play or snow patrol track underneath that and <laughs> almost sort of manufacture the emotion whereas actually the way that it was presented in a way was a lot more hard hitting by that not being there and just leaving the silence well i don't know whether we do it deliberately but i think we would have not wanted to sex up the topic if you like mm. and just let people speak and let people see what's on screen um, the whole thing is very, very convoluted and complicated. And there are obviously a lot of players who may have been damaged by rugby, but there are a lot of players who've had a fantastic time through rugby and are almost unscathed. And certainly rugby, I know if you do the analysis, 
rugby on balance is probably better for you. It's probably you know better to have played it than not to have played it. But that doesn't mean we're, we're not sore at the end of it, and maybe maybe there is some brain damage. And what's your view on the current situation? Do you think things have moved on in the three years since the documentary came out? In concussion? Yeah. Oh, undoubtedly. It used to really annoy me. I mean, it, it really, really annoyed me when I used to watch games and people wandering around dizzy. And I think this is, we know that the second hit is the most dangerous hit, and the third hit is even worse, if you like. And yet we were letting people wander around, and now we have Nigel Owen jumping in and sending people off say, no, no, you can't play on. It's night and day. I mean, I won't name the person, but we had people denying it, people denying it on camera and to me that there was an issue, that there were people being concussed playing rugby. This was a problem. They denied it. People at the highest level. I mean, I, I think I put on record, I was called an old woman by, it got back to me that there were people calling me an old woman because I was um, a little bit worried that this might have a, uh, a relevance to rugby. And now we have protocols, we have referees stopping it, we have other doctors in the stand. But you've no idea the, the reluctance at the time when we even suggested things like that. People completely poo-pooed it. They totally dismissed the argument. Rugby dismissed the argument. So there's been, there's been a, a gear shift of, of incredible proportions to get to where we are, where we are now. Um, and... Um uh, the other thing I was interested to know, I mean, you um, once described Bill McLaren's commentary as opera, and I'm just wondering how you describe your own commentary my, style. My, my commentary style is like a chartered accountant doing commentary. <laughs> <laughs> my commentating style is trying not to get into trouble, trying not to imitate Bill McLaren, trying not to do any of the, the similes like a trout that would burn, like, a, you know, because if you listen to his commentary, it's impossible to come away from his commentary without thinking, well, that's the only way of doing it because, you know, like a mad buffalo, like, a, you know, all the likes and all the detail, you know, his mother came from such and such. Um, Whereas I, I was much more, what do the Kiwis do? The Kiwis try to analyze the game. Uh, commentary is a funny thing because as a commentator, you're not supposed to make any, any comments. You know, you're there to tell people what's happening. And the other thing about telling people what's happening is the best producer I ever worked for, a guy, TV producer, a guy called Pete Small, who said, you know, the last thing you ever tell anybody is what they can see on the screen. You know, even if you're voicing a documentary, mm. the last thing you ever write about is what you can see on the screen. So if you're seeing somebody being beaten up, you, you might strip it as the violence and other, as a Jaban, uh, you know, violence in this country is whatever. So when you're commentating it, on, on telly, it's pretty tough because there's a sparsity you've got to have in the in the in the commentary. Uh, and if you put too much detail in it, you annoy people. And I realise I'm no good. I mean, I don't I don't think I'm any good at it. You know, I, I just I do a few year. I really loved doing them. I think if I did more of them, I'd be better at them. Um, but I, I do them with the shadow of Bill McLaren over my shoulder going, don't imitate me, son. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't imitate me. You know, don't try and be Bill Johnson or Bill McLaren. Uh, you know, Bordeaux's voices with, uh, with a kind of heritage behind them. So, no, I, I, I think of myself as a chartered accountant 
uh, commentating as if it's a maths problem because my degree was in maths and economics and engineering. Uh, so I think I'm probably the world's most boring commentator. So you're not you're not sat there with with the sort of the John's big sheet in front of you. I've got a sheet. I've got a sheet of names and weights and clubs and uh, information and um, you know some anecdotes about people, but I don't have two weeks to put the sheet together. Yeah. You know I have a day. Uh, kind of got my radio program, lunchtime radio program, and I've got a day to do the everything, uh, which I love. You know, I, but it's it's so much fun. That whole thing of the best days of my life have been trucking up the games uh, with Bill Johnson in the old days, and now as a commentator with a folder, uh, not knowing what's going to happen. The beauty of sport is you don't know the ending. I'm like a Bond film, or and I've always told people that the attraction of international rugby is. You don't know what the ending is going to be. People come there in complete friendship. You can be from France and Wales and Ireland or wherever, but we're all turning out there to be entertained uh, with friends, even if they're in theory from the other side. And then I'm the bloke. Sometimes has got to make it sound, make the sound of the day. And I really enjoy that. I really, really enjoy that. I enjoy trucking up to that. I don't mean what I mean about being boring. I just you've got to make it interesting interested, analytical, fun. It, it's it's just a magic thing to do. It's a magic thing to be part of. Wonderful. That's a, that's a lovely a lovely point to leave it on, John. Thanks thanks very much for speaking to us. Pleasure. The next award, it's a Reader's Award, uh, voted for by uh, readers of the blog, and it's the hashtag Justice for Roddy Award for the criminally undercapped. The award was inspired by our relentless social media campaign to get Roddy Grant a call-up to the Scotland squad at the time when the team was taking the innovative approach of playing with three blindsides with no identifiable success whatsoever. Um, We asked uh, the readers for their nominations, and they were... Roddy Grant, John Barkley, Tom Evans, Ross Rennie and Stephen Shingler. And the winner of the uh, hashtag Justice for Roddy Award for the criminally undercapped is John Barkley. And here comes John now to collect his award. He's making his way through the tables, shaking hands as he goes. But wait, who's this? I don't believe it. Bursting through the fire doors into the arena, it's, it's Roddy Grant. He's furious. He's storming over to he's, he's picked up a chair and oh my lord, he's fell Barkley with the chair now and he's marched on stage, he's collected the award. It's over for Barkley. You, you don't like to see that in the award ceremony, but um, it, it does feel uh, like justice has been served. Um, I thought this was very much our Brexit. I thought we could trust our readers with making the right choice, but clearly not. Right, we'll move on now while the St. John's lads attend to John Barclay, uh, carry out an HIA assessment. Uh, the next award, it's uh, another reader's choice. I uh, hope they do better this time. It's the Overseas Player of the Decade. These are the players who've turned up for one of the pro sides. Uh, we discounted anyone who then qualified for Scotland through residency as it sort of undermines the whole point of the award. Um, the nominations are... 
Leonie Nakarawa, Niku Matawalu and DTH van der Merwe. Um, and the winner is Leonie Nakarawa. Um, we generally reached out to Leone through Racing, but uh, we never heard anything back. So here to collect the award on his behalf is a ridiculous offload. Next up, it's the reader's choice of Scottish Rugby Moment of the Decade. Now, full disclosure here, uh, due to administrative error um, on my part, I forgot to include Glasgow's Pro 12 win. It was nominated, um, but I think we've got a, a solution to that at the end. Um, so we'll just go through the nominees and announce the winner, and then it'll all sort itself out. So the nominations were the World Cup quarterfinal defeat to Australia, Melrose winning the, their own sevens, Scotland uh, winning the London sevens in 2017, Berwick Rugby Club drinking the Orkney Ferry dry, Joe Ansborough and Al Strokosh headbutting each other after beating Australia in 2012, and the winner is the World Cup final uh, defeat to Australia, um, a worthy winner. Um, now, we did consider uh, whether or not we should give it to Glasgow uh, by default, but the captain of Glasgow at the time, Al Kellogg, has blocked me on Twitter a while ago. Um, no idea why. So for that reason, the win stays with the quarterfinal game against Australia. And here to collect the award is Scotland fans' shattered dreams, the feeling of melancholy and world rugby's press release saying Craig Joubert made the wrong call. Give them all a big hand. The next award of the evening, it's Player of the Decade based on our player ratings. Basically, we've discounted appearances from the bench and anyone who started less than five games. And the winner is... Finn Russell. And here to collect the award on Finn Russell's behalf is the music playing in his head. Next up, it's most consistent player. Again, we've gone back over our player ratings over the past 10 years. And apart from the time I gave everyone a zero, um, we've looked at, we've disqualified anyone who scored less than a six, which is our average starting point in player ratings. And that actually left us with only two names, um, Finn Russell and Alex Dunbar. And the winner of the most consistent player... Scotland of the last decade is Alex Dunbar. And here to collect the award on behalf of Alex Dunbar is his try from a line out against Ireland in the 2017 Six Nations. We're moving on now to the big awards of the evening. It's time for Player of the Decade. Uh, we gave the Readers and Writers Award for this, so it's Double Glory. Um, and the winner of the Scottish Rugby Blog 
player of the decade as voted for by both readers and writers is Chris Patterson. Um, that is not what we were expecting, if uh, we're perfectly honest. We sort of uh, thought that um, Hoggy might win the Reader's Award, but there you go. It shows that uh, the writers and readers of the blog are in perfect synergy with one another. Um, and here to collect the award on Chris Patterson's behalf is the Mayor of Gala, Shields Wooly the Sheep. <laughs> right, the final award of the night is for Coach of the Decade again. It's a double award uh, with glory up for grabs in both the writers and readers categories. And the winner of Coach of the Decade, as voted for by both the writers and readers of the blog. Um, so two awards. It's Vern Cotter. Um, again, we um, uh, we sort of expected that we might have different results there, but I think it just goes to show um, the high regard and the that um, Vern's held in in Scotland, um, and and unbelievably, we've actually got something from Vern. Uh, we reached out from him through the press guys at Montpellier using Google Translate, um, and that included the words in the email. Um, Il est également prétendu que tu un lapin avec ses mains which means something along the lines of uh, he forced Richie Gray to skin a rabbit. So um, anyway, Vern has evidently read that and still decided to get back to us. Uh, and here it is. This is what we got back from Big Vern. It's been a, a surprise and I'm really honoured for the uh, for the award. Uh, just want to thank uh, Scottish Rugby Blog and... Uh, the Scottish people, uh, for all the support. We love their time in Scotland. Okay, that's it from us. Don't forget you can follow us on Twitter at ScottRugbyBlog and on Facebook. You can also visit the blog ScottishRugbyBlog.co.uk and leave comments on any articles. The podcast will return after the Samoa game uh, and this time round we're going to be looking for your suggestions for Hands in the Ruck as well as any Scottish media personalities you've spotted out uh, and about in our regular feature, Where's Doogie Donnelly? The ever popular feature, uh, much more popular than we ever expected it would be. We thought that would be a one-off but we still get um, we're still getting quite a few submissions through. Um, and look, look who it is. He, he's made it. Doogie. No, 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 the awards are finished, Doogie. No, no, you've missed it. Oh, right. We'll see you in the bar. See you in the bar. Anyway, right, for the moment, it's goodbye from me and enjoy the disco, folks. <laughs>
angry just thinking about it makes me mad. Little kids doing drugs, it turns my stomach. That stuff hurts. It stops you from living up to your potential. It holds you back. It hurts the user. It hurts his family. And it hurts his friends. I just want to shake some sense into you kids that are using drugs and thinking about using So remember, don't or else. Okay?